Well, friends, it is good to see you again. Um, last time in our journey in the book of Genesis, um, we started chapter 16. And just to give you a refresher on what happened there, I think this was two weeks ago. Uh, so Abraham and Sarah are waiting for the promised child that God had promised them, and they get a little impatient. Sarah has this idea. She has a, a slave named Hagar. She takes her slave Hagar, gives Hagar to her husband to be another wife, thinking that uh, through Hagar, a child would come, and that would be Sarah's child. It was a common practice during the time. If you couldn't uh, have a child, you'd get, get a, a, a servant or a slave to bear a child for you. So they have this idea. So she gives her husband, her slave Hagar. Uh, Hagar does uh, get pregnant. And then what it says is Hagar began to despise Sarah when she found that she was pregnant. Sarah doesn't like that. She goes to Abraham uh, wanting Abraham to work this out. And Abraham says, you can do with Hagar what you think is good. And Sarah thinks it's good to afflict her, to oppress her. And uh, Hagar flees. That's what happens in the first six verses. And we talked about this. Again, you, if you want to refresh, you can go back two weeks ago. Uh, but we saw that, and we talked about how there is a world of dysfunction happening in the first six chapters of Genesis. This is God's special family, and it's not doing very well. And there's good news there, though. The story ends well. And that's good news for all of our own dysfunctional families. The story ends well in Christ. To those who look to Christ, the story ends well. And now, that, that, like I said, that was two weeks ago, and we talked about Abraham, we talked about Sarah, but who we didn't really talk about is this new member of the family, this poor slave woman who became... Uh, Abraham's second wife, uh, concubine wife, and she gets afflicted and, and she flees. We didn't really talk about her. And I know for a lot of people, your heart kind of went out to her when you hear that story. Like, she didn't ask for any of this. And here she is now, part of this very dysfunctional family. And then so she takes off. And, well, why don't we start by just... Reading the scripture at that point, let's, let's, let's pick it up uh, in verse 7. So it goes like this. This is right after Hagar left. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and bread. Oh, well, so this is what happens. Um, 
the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, the angel of the Lord, a very mysterious figure who we'll, we'll chat about in a little bit. So I read this passage thinking about this sermon, and something really just messed with me. There's something here that just feels so wrong to me, okay? And, and I suspect some of you heard that also. It just feels, it feels so wrong, this woman who's running away uh, from a very bad situation of being afflicted. She's a slave. She's running away, and the angel of the Lord shows up, and he tells her to go back and submit to this woman who is afflicting her. That really just struck me as really wrong. And, um, well, there's a reason for that. Uh, in every other case, it would be wrong. In the sense of if, if, uh, if well, if we told someone to do that. And sadly, actually, um, there's a good number of people that have that story. But it's very sad. It's, um, uh, it's, a, it's a stain on the church for a lot of people where someone would be abused and they would go to the church for help, uh, especially a woman might be abused in her home and go to the church for help. And, and, and you hear stories about like a, a priest or pastor telling an abused person to just go back to their abuser and, and suffer more. Let me be just the first to say just from the outset, like that's not right. That's not how churches, it's not how anyone should function, especially the church. God has called the church to be a, a refuge for those who are seeking refuge, okay? Uh, a, a place of safety. And so as we were actually discussing this passage, or the little thread uh, that we have, uh, this chat conversation with those who are part of the preaching team, uh, someone sent me, there was an article on the front page of the Montreal Gazette yesterday saying, um, we felt like ghosts in our own home, and it was about uh, victims of like abuse in the home, of how they felt like ghosts, feeling like, you know, a ghost, like no one sees me, no one hears me, okay? And, um, well, uh, that's actually a lot of what this story's about. You have a God who sees and a God who hears and a God who cares. And that's actually what we're going to see. We are going to answer the question of what is happening when God tells her to go back, Okay, we're going we're gonna to answer that question, but even more, we're going to see and we're going to understand the heart of a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who cares about someone that no one else really seems to, okay? God cares and loves someone who otherwise doesn't have anyone to love. Uh, that's, that's who God is, and we're going to see that as we just dive in just to, to the depths and the nuances of this passage and get a better understanding of this of this God. Uh, Father God, I pray that you would help me speak your truth clearly, uh, concisely. Lord, I pray uh, that even though I, I'm speaking to people through a camera lens, it would come across as, as us connecting uh, by your spirit. It would be your spirit speaking to people and, and showing us who you are, the goodness of your character, the truth of your salvation, um, that we may know and worship you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, where do we begin? Um, so, uh, well, earlier in the chapter, um, it says that uh, when, when Sarai got pregnant, she began to look down, or, or I'm sorry, when Hagar got pregnant, she began to look down on Sarai, and that caused other problems. And it's really important to understand the, the context 
the culture of what's going on here. Um, this is uh, an honor culture. And a lot of what's happening here is a struggle for position, a struggle for honor. You have this poor woman who is a slave, and who knows how she became a slave, if she was sold into slavery by her family or by a debt or she was part of a conquered people or who knows. But there's this poor woman who is a slave and now coming in as a second wife and she becomes pregnant and then she begins to, to look down on Sarah. So Sarah could not get pregnant. And so in the time that this was written, the, the culture being an honor culture for a woman, the highest source of honor that you could have was to have a child, specifically a male child. I'm not saying that is right. In fact, it, it's not a good measure of honor, but that's how the culture worked, okay? And so if a woman could not get pregnant, that was a source of shame for her. And you have other people in the Bible who People look down on them because they can't have a child. Um, Rachel, that happens later in the story, Hannah. And a lot of times it's other wives looking down on them because they can't have a child. And so that is what's happening in the beginning, okay? And so Hagar has this desire for a better position. It makes sense when you're a slave. She has a desire for honor. It makes sense when you lived your life without it. And here's just a quick question before we dive deeper, because this is a really important just question to ask to understand uh, the rest of this. This desire for honor, this desire to not be a slave but to be free, this desire for honor and freedom, is that a, a good thing? We can even say it this way, the desire for glory, is that a good thing? Um, yeah, we were made for honor. We were made to be free. We were made for glory. But because of the present world we are in, because of sin, uh, we are oftentimes not experiencing the glory we should. Instead, we're experiencing slavery. What I want you to see from the beginning is Hagar is a picture of all of us who have known the oppression, the affliction of sin that makes us slaves and this desire to be free. Okay? In this way, Hagar is a picture of all of us. Jesus told us everyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. And, and we've all sinned. And we've all known this slavery. So she desires to be free. She desires honor. Okay, that's good. Um, and so anyways, she's afflicted. She begins to look down on, on Sarah as she's desiring a greater position. Um, she begins to look down on Sarah. And Sarah treats her bad. And, and, and she runs away. And that's when she is found by this uh, figure, shows up, in verse 7, called the angel of the Lord. Now, I told you, this is a mysterious figure. He shows up, uh, I think, nine times in the Old Testament, and each time it's mysterious. Well, what's mysterious about an angel? Well, there's something unique about this particular angel, just called the angel of the Lord. Sometimes, and the word angel here means messenger. Okay, so it's a messenger, the messenger of the Lord. At some points, here you see it, the messenger is referred to as just that, a messenger of the Lord. But in each of these occasions where the angel of the Lord shows up, the angel is also called the Lord himself. Sarai talks with this messenger, and then it talks about how she talked with the God who saw her. As in, there's this tension. Is this messenger a messenger, or is this messenger 
God himself in the flesh. And so many people, including myself, has said what this is doing in the Old Testament is giving us this tension that is only resolved in the New Testament. As in, this is Jesus, the man who is both a messenger from God and God himself. So what is particularly interesting about this occurrence is this is the first time in the Bible that the angel of the Lord shows up. And he doesn't show up first to talk to Abraham. He doesn't show up first to talk to Sarah. The first time he shows up is to talk to this, this afflicted, this, this poor woman, Hagar. And, um, well, he says to her, uh, well, this is actually what caught me first, actually, when I was reading it. When he addresses her, he says, Hagar, slave of Sarai. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, why are you calling her that? <laughs> you know, that's, is that how you think of her? Okay, is that how God thinks of this poor woman as a slave? It's like, that's, that's what she's trying to escape. Why are you calling her that? And I really want us to understand what God is doing here, okay? That, that a lot of times in the Bible, Okay, I don't know about a lot, but enough times, enough times in the Bible, you see God doing something that really is against his character, but he's doing it kind of a, as a test. You see God uh, saying things and telling people to do things that are against his character, but he kind of does it as a test. Uh, most notably, a couple chapters later, when he tells Abraham to go offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering, okay? That's generally not something that you should do, and it's not something that the church should ever be doing, okay? We should never be advising parents to do that. In the same way, we, the church, should never be sending, you know, abused people back to their, their abuser. Um, but sometimes you have God doing things like this because God is, is, is God, okay? He, he operates different, and he has a plan. He has a, a purpose, and, and we're going to see this purpose. So he addresses her as slave of Sarai. Why? What's going on here with, with him calling her that and then telling her to go back? What is, how, how does this line up with who God is and ultimately the story of salvation? Well, I'll tell you this, that's what this story is really about. It's about the nature of God and the nature of salvation. I told you, uh, Hagar, like all of us, desires honor, okay? We're made for honor. She desires honor. She desires glory, like all of us. That's what Hagar, uh, that's what Abraham and Sarah are, are waiting for also. Well, when she began to look down on Sarah, all right? Well, that's, no one's perfect in the story, all right? There's no one perfect in the Bible other than Jesus, okay? Jesus is the hero. Well, first Hagar doing that, that's problematic, okay? Because the Hebrew, when it says that Hagar uh, despised Sarah, it's actually the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 12, where the scriptures say, anyone uh, who curses you, I will curse, okay? So taking a position against Abraham and his family is not advisable for anyone, including Hagar. So that's a bigger problem going on there. But um, I think what's really important to see is that Hagar is doing the same thing that Abraham and Sarah were doing. Okay? Catch this. 
Hagar is doing the same thing Abraham and Sarah were doing, as in she is trying to secure the honor and the glory that she wants by her own hand, by her own strength, okay? That's what, that's what Abraham and Sarah were doing earlier in the chapter. Instead of waiting on God to help them and to save them, they decided to take matters into their own hands. And that's what Hagar is doing uh, with looking down on Sarah and now running away, trying to take matters into her own hands. Now, let me just be clear, okay? I am not saying that waiting on the Lord means inaction, okay? I'm not saying waiting on the Lord means we just don't do anything, especially I'm not saying it, it doesn't mean we, we don't seek justice and help the oppressed, okay? That's not the point the story is trying to make, okay? But what this point the story is trying to make is, and this is the heart attitude more than anything else, this is a heart attitude, the heart attitude of Hagar so far is to not look to the Lord for help, but instead try to seek honor and now freedom by just taking matters into her own hands. So when God comes in and says, slave of Sarah, he's not trying to say that's who she eternally is. And we keep reading, we're going to see that. Okay, what he's trying to say is, you can't do this. Okay, this is the message that all of us need to hear. You cannot set yourself free from slavery. You cannot set yourself free. You cannot, by your own strength, your own wisdom, your own cunning, your own craftiness, you cannot secure the destiny that we are all made for. You cannot secure true security, true peace, true freedom, true glory. It's not going to come by you. You cannot do it. So, by saying, slave of Sarah, go back. What God is saying to her, the heart of it is, you need to look to me and not yourself. And that's why it's important to see what he says next. Because he's not simply saying to her, Go back. He's not like this guy who captures a runaway slave just to send him back. Because God isn't forcing her. God isn't capturing her. You keep reading, he's making her an offer. He's making her a promise. He says, go back, okay, and, verse 10, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Okay? And then he, he, he gives her specific prophecies. You're going to have a son. So what God is saying here, you want honor? You want glory? Don't do it yourself. Look to me. Put your trust in me. Submit to me, because that's ultimately what God is saying. He's not really saying submit to any person. Trust me and submit to me, and this is what I'm going to do. The glory that you seek, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son. Okay? You're going to have a son, and not only that, his descendants are going to be too numerous to count. You keep reading the story. Ishmael is called. Her son Ishmael, uh, he is the father of 12 kings. Hagar is going to be the mother of royalty. Okay? 12 kings are going to come from Hagar. That's the promise of honor and glory that God is making to Hagar. You know, you keep reading this passage. Um, and a lot of people, they, they, they miss what this is about. It says that, that, that Ishmael, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. The Hebrews, he will live over uh, all his brothers. 
a lot of people have, have read that as, as just negative, and there's certainly some negative aspects to it, but God didn't speak it to Hagar as a negative. He spoke it to her as a promise. Uh, perhaps to, to, to maybe understand the heart of it more, instead of hearing he will be a wild donkey of a man, think a, a wild Mustang. As in, you desire freedom. What God is saying to her is, your boy will be free. No one will rule over him. Okay? Everything that you seek, honor, glory, freedom, don't seek it by your own strength, by your own hand, because you can't set yourself free. Instead, look to me, and I'll give you all these things. And, well, what does Hagar say? And this is very, very important. What does Hagar say? Hagar says, you're the God who sees me. The, the name Ishmael means God hears. He says, you're God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well was called, called Beer Lahai Roy. It is there between Kadesh and Bered. Um, I have said before that this is not a description of how we treat afflicted people, by the way. There's a lot in the Bible that is not a, uh, how do we say it? It's not a prescription, it's a description, as in it's not telling us this is how we operate, it's telling us what happened. But I think a really important question to ask is, how do we treat people, uh, afflicted people, especially oppressed people? And the heart of it is here, Okay. The heart of it is really here. People who are, are afflicted and oppressed, a lot of times, like the article that was in the paper yesterday, a lot of times they feel like ghosts, like no one sees me. They're carrying a pain. No one knows, no one sees. But Hagar, she says, God sees me. God hears me. All right, if someone comes to us, if someone comes to the church, but if someone comes to us, do they walk away feeling like they heard me? They saw me and they heard me. They understood. Okay? Because that's, that's really the most important thing. Um, I've heard it said, and I, and I know a lot of people have experienced this as truth. To be heard is to be loved. Okay? To be listened to is to be loved. All right? We need to be a people. We need to be a people. We need to be a church that listens to people and, and loves people, especially people like Hagar, who no one else loves. Now, some people have asked, and this is a good question we should always ask when reading the Old Testament, where is Jesus in this story? That's a very good question to ask, and I told you, I think the angel of the Lord is Jesus, but I'm going to give you more reason to believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Because this happens again, all right? You have a woman, a woman who has awful family relationship situations going on. A woman who there's good reason to believe isn't loved by anyone. A woman who is not part of the physical promise of the special people of God. A woman who's not of the people of Israel. A foreigner. And Jesus comes and meets her. Here it says uh, in verse 14, he met her by the will, by the well, which was called at Beer Lahai. He meets a woman by a well, a woman with poor relationship status, a woman who's probably unloved. He meets her by the well. You see? This is a foreshadow. This is a foreshadow of something that's going to happen later. 
seen the same heart of God. The heart of God to love those who no one else loves. To call them. To, to go out of your way to meet them. You want to know the angel of the Lord thought, oh, hey, God, he, he, he cared enough to go after her. Okay? She runs away. Abraham and Sarah probably not going after her. God's going after her. Okay? Because in God's view, she's part of the family. And once more, our, our call, our call is to be that people that pursue people and we listen to them. And we make them feel heard and understood and loved. One more thing. I think some people might read this story and wonder why God doesn't just put an end to all this injustice. Um, you know, you got systems of slavery uh, polygamy, okay? Uh, there's all sorts of things in, in the Old Testament, especially, where you could read it and say, it seems like God is working in these, uh, you know, power dynamics and systems of injustice. It's, it seems like he's working in them and he's working through them, and he certainly is. Why doesn't he just put an end to them? Being God and all. And the important thing to understand is, that's exactly what he's doing. Keep reading. Understand the big story. Understand the big picture. That is what he is doing. He is putting an end to all injustice. But he's doing it the real way. Okay? As in, back then, he could have just said, you know what? Um, we're done with this. No doing this. Uh, no taking people into slavery. No doing this. No doing this. And you know what? Oppression would find another way. Because the sin that leads to those sorts of things still reigns in the hearts of men. All right? And, and we could look at that. We could have conversations about that in history. All right? How those things happen. You know, um, slavery was outlawed in the United States. They found another way. Okay? Those, those, you could read the history. When they were set free, they weren't really set free. All right, the voting rights happen. I come from the U.S., so that's the history I know. Voting rights happen, where suddenly people who could no longer vote could now vote. Well, then Jim Crow came into play, and really people weren't able to vote who should get to vote. What I'm trying to say is injustice and oppression will find a way as long as sin is ruling in the hearts of man. But what God is doing is he is putting an end to injustice. We sing it every Christmas, you know. In his name, all oppression shall cease. And the way that he's doing it is not from the outside by dismantling power structures through force of the sword and government. He's not doing it that way. He's doing it from the inside out. He is doing it by changing hearts. And that's what salvation in Christ is all about. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves because what, is, what did Jesus say? Flesh can only give birth to flesh. Okay? Uh, the, the, you see this sometimes on bumper stickers. Uh, uh, the problems of this world will never be solved by the minds that created them. Okay? And that's all of us. All right? All we can ever do is more the same. But the gift of salvation is the gift of new life. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? 
the Holy Spirit that comes in us and changes us from the inside. And now, what's the difference? What's the difference? In our hearts now can flow true love, real love uh, that transforms, love that sees. Sarah is not a, uh, Hagar is not a slave. She's a sister, all right? She's a sister in the faith. All right, we, we can't treat her this way because she's part of our flesh. That's the understanding. That's the understanding that he is doing in us. And when the story is over, all oppression will be done forever. So if you read this story and you desire justice, you desire oppression, so does God. He sees, he hears. And when he's done, so will we. Okay? We will see and we will hear and we will see justice and glory and honor um, only. I'm going to pray. Father God, uh, I just pray that we would be a people that truly hear, a people who, who listen well, a people who love well as you are living in us, and that's your heart, Lord. And uh, and Lord, uh, I just pray that as you are living in us, as you are working in us, as salvation is reigning in us, God, we would be seekers of justice, Lord. Um, by your strength, not by our own hands, but by your strength, Lord, we would be seeking goodness and honor and glory in your name, Lord. And that we would share in that, God, as we are yours and you are ours, Lord. And so just guide us in that way. Um, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.